is becoming more and more challenging. That's why we need to encourage and, and champion and really pray for those who are called, like Kit, to do this very, this very task. This is because the landscape has changed. It has changed gradually. How we got here, and, and, and some of us who have been Christians for a while feel like a bit like the, the frog in the kettle. The, the fundamental tenets of our faith clash with our culture. And before it, was, it, wasn't, the, it wasn't so much because everybody assumed that on Sundays is the day of the Lord, you're going to go to church, you're going to be growing up, kids will be going to Sunday school and all of that, but that is another time. It almost feels like another world if you've been around for a while. Our belief hasn't changed. Our belief hasn't changed. Society has. Our culture has. For this reason, people are suggesting now, and there is evidence all the time, uh, that we should stop talking about our faith. Talking about your faith is taboo. The incident with Israel Falau, for example, is one demonstration of that. Because if you do, you're going to get into trouble. There is pressure from business, there are from sponsors, from could be your lecturers, your teachers, your neighbours, and so on and so forth. Don't worry. Don't worry, we won't be thrown into prison just yet. But it does dampen our enthusiasm to share our faith, to invite others into the faith. Some people may feel that religion is a private matter and shouldn't be shared with others. That to me is a false understanding of Christianity. It has always been personal, but our faith has never been private. It is personal, but not private. For you see, salvation is a gift from God that is meant for the whole world. And this morning we're going to look at the passage of how Jesus started calling his disciples. He started with a handful and how that fire spread and spread and spread. Did they have it easy? No. I, just the other day somebody was posted something on Facebook about the magnificence of the Colosseum. And people go there, the tourists go there, they take pictures and click and click and all of this and, and I, my mind just go to the stuff that happened in the middle And then a sadness, a sombre. Yeah, you know, it's like saying, do you actually know when you're admiring this what used to happen in this place? Changes your perspective, doesn't it? When Christians used to be mauled by lions and set alight and all of that and saying, it was a spectacle. 
Do you think that those Christians would have questioned themselves and said, maybe I should just keep my faith privately? No. It didn't stop them. It didn't stop them. They continued to share. They continued to risk everything, sharing their faith. They weren't scared because God was with them. And we are here. We are the descendants. We are their descendants. We are those who have benefited from their courage, the same courage that our forefathers displayed years past. So what is it that we need to do? We're going to look at this passage and we're going to find encouragement as to how to share our faith in bringing people to Christ. First of all, in verses 35 to 37, pointing them to Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. Verse 35, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now last week we spoke about the forerunner to Jesus who was John the Baptist. And he, when he, Jesus came to the crowd, he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One of the great declarations in Scripture. Here he simply says, look, the Lamb of God. He's not pointing the crowds to Jesus. He's pointing his own disciples to Jesus. At this stage, you see, John the Baptist already had a group of his own personal disciples. And as flattering as it might be for people you know, to see us up the front and all of that as, as being some moral servant, source of all wisdom and all of that. And the crowds come, the crowds go, and we like to hear the sound of our own voice and all of that. There is only one Lamb of God, and John the Baptist recognised that. John the Baptist wanted others to see Jesus, not to see him. And as he pointed others to Jesus, we always need to point people to Jesus. Always. To follow here in these verses means it's more than tailgating. It's more than stalking. It means discipleship. That's what it means. In these verses we see how John the Baptist slowly fades. You get that, the subtlety here. John the Baptist is slowly fading into the background and lets the light, he lets the light shine on Jesus who's appearing, who's coming. There is a transfer in the text from John to Jesus. And and the significance of this transfer takes place when John the Baptist's own disciples started following Jesus. John had accomplished his goal. He got his followers, Andrew and John, who wrote this gospel, not John the Baptist, this is John the disciple, even though he's not named, we're pretty sure it's him, 
to follow Jesus. To follow is equal to discipleship. It means a willingness to surrender, to give it all, to surrender ourselves, our pride, forsake all and to follow Jesus. Like John the Baptist, it also means that God might use us as part of the process for conversion. We might not lead people all the way, but we might be used by God to lead people part of the way. It means that we are a bit player, like John the Baptist. I brought you this far, I baptise you with water, but soon someone is coming who will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. I can only do so much. It is God who's going to do the supernatural stuff. I will sow the seeds, but then someone else is going to come and collect the harvest. Your duty, my duty, is to be obedient, just as John the Baptist was obedient. Give thanks to God that he has used you in part of the process. That's what Kit was sharing, isn't it? That pray that God will use her in the ministry to be part of that process for someone to discover, to come to Jesus. <laughs> Secondly, it's learning from Jesus. Learning from Jesus in verse, verses 38 to 39. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come. Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Once a person has been pointed to Jesus, the person is challenged to learn directly from Jesus. Millions have come to know Christ by reading the Bible by themselves. It's one of the great gifts of the Reformation, the fact that the scriptures were distributed. It wasn't just kept in the churches, interpreted by the priests, but now scripture was distributed. And in its providence, it coincided with the, the Gutenberg press and all of that type of stuff. Not that people... Not that people, you know, didn't have other material to look at. They were already printing presses and and all that type of stuff in China and Japan and other places where I'm pretty sure they would have been able to read different types of material. But the fact that the scriptures were mass produced, it enabled people to read it for themselves, to get access to the word of God directly so that they could be guided by the Spirit of God and and their eyes will be opened to truth. We can distribute a lot of stuff. There's a mass of information out there. But it is only the Word of God that transforms.
Jesus noticed these two prospective disciples following and as they approach he turns and asks them this penetrating question what do you want? what do you want? it's a powerful question according to John's gospel this is significant uh, in John's gospel what do you want are actually Jesus' first words that are recorded for us in John's Gospel. For thousands of years, the the Jews had been waiting and been preparing, seeking their Messiah. The Messiah, the way they looked at the Messiah was the political deliverer, a reliever of oppression an earthly king to liberate them from their oppressors, from the Romans and all of that type of stuff. And now Jesus wants, is asking them, if you can read behind the question, what do you want? What is it that you're after? Is it a Messiah? What is your motivation? What are you looking for? Are you looking for power, for glory, for fame, for self-satisfaction? What do you seek by following me? Our motivation is very important to God. Motivation is very important. In my years in ministry, I've been challenged many times and been goaded to get involved in discussions about faith and all that type of stuff. Uh, and before, I'm a little bit wiser now, I used to jump, just jump straight in, uh, before I, I engage with someone who wants to know about the Christian faith, I want to know whether they, they want to be involved in a discussion because they want to throw rocks at my faith or whether they are genuinely interested Motivation is very important for God. It's important to me as well. What do you want? Because you see, I have found that Jesus' words, that there are times when it's okay to shake the dust from your sandals, it's okay. And just walk away and say, well, you're not really interested in the Christian faith. You're simply just here to you know, undermine and accuse and just find more, looking for more rocks to throw at my roof. I'm sorry, I don't have time for that. Some people are offended. Oh, okay, gee, never thought you'd hear that response from you. You're a pastor. Surprise! The two disciples answer Jesus' question with a question. Rabbi, which is teacher and a learned scholar, where are you staying? This is a question and answer. It it reveals a true desire to seek to spend time with Jesus, to get to know him a little bit better. They seek to become better acquainted with Jesus. So their motives appear pure, they appear genuine. We should all have a desire to know more of Jesus. 
I don't care how long you've been a Christian. The hunger, the thirst for Jesus should never, ever stop. Spurgeon said, He who does not long to know more of Christ knows nothing of him yet. How's that, huh? Knows nothing of him yet. If you said, oh, I know about Jesus, I know all the stories from Sunday school, that's fine. You want to grow. There's more. And, and where does that come from? There's more again. Each, each thing you learn just is a corridor that leads to more doors. And each you open your door, you open another door and that leads to more doors. And that's the Christian faith. You want to learn. You want to grow. The Apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Let me ask you, do you have the same hunger to know Christ? Now, Jesus could have answered, he could have answered, not right now, I'm kind of busy, guys, but here's my card. Call my secretary, make an appointment, and, uh, you know, I'm really booked out four months from now. Maybe we could set up a time. Is that okay? The call to come. Come and see. Come and see. An an open invitation to spend time to get to know Jesus. Wow. Come with me and you will see. Let's go for a walk. The call to come is a call to a relationship, a discovery, a call to have your eyes open to truth, the call to come is a call to a, a transformational event, an event and a process. The disciples answered the call, they came, and sure enough, their lives were transformed. And uh, we will see similar one-on-one encounters in the rest of the Gospel of John. People that met Jesus, Nicodemus, one of them, the woman at the well, you spend enough time with Jesus and you'll you'll never be the same again. Bringing them to Jesus, bringing them to Jesus, verses 40 to 45. Now Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, he decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. As a result of spending that time, that afternoon with Jesus, 
Andrew now realises that he must share his good news because as we know, good news is for sharing. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon. Simon. Simon was one of the tribes of Israel, one of the sons of Jacob who got, he was one of the ones who got into a lot of trouble. They avenged their sister back in the old our series in Genesis, we spoke about this and did a horrible, terrible thing and, and killed and all that. And Simon's, the original Simon back in Genesis, Simon, one of the tribes, he had a, a violent character, abrupt, explosive temper, that type of thing. Guess what? Simon, Simon Peter, it was the same, isn't it? Like his namesake. But something's going to happen with Simon, with Peter. And so when Andrew shares with Simon this wonderful news, we have found the Messiah, it's actually interesting. Let's talk about Andrew. It's interesting that three times in the Gospel of John, each time Andrew is bringing somebody to Jesus. Here he's bringing his brother Simon. Then he brings the boy with the five barley loaves and two fish. And then he brings the, some of the Greeks who wanted to know Jesus and wanted to meet Jesus. That's in chapter 12, which began to signal the, uh, that the Son of Man was going to be glorified. Andrew never received the attention of his brother Peter. He never wrote an epistle, a gospel, He never preached to thousands. He was, however, an important aid or helper in bringing others to Jesus. Can you imagine how Andrew must have felt being in the crowd in the book of Acts, chapter 2, as he saw his brother preaching the gospel and thousands responded? Can you imagine how he must have felt? I told you about the Saviour. Look at you now. I'm so proud of you. Wonderful, isn't it? Church historian Eusebius says that Andrew travelled all the way north uh, to what is now the Ukraine. Yeah, for the Ukrainians. He was not in the spotlight, but he was faithful to his calling. You see, being an Andrew is not all that complicated. You don't need a PhD. It's helpful, but you don't need it. You don't need high level of education, all of these. It means saying to people, come and see. Let's investigate. Allow Jesus to make the transformation. As they say, I know many times you can lead a horse to water, you cannot make them drink, and we can, we can say to people, come and see. You can show them that the fountain of life, but it's It's their choice whether they want to drink or not. What we've got to do is be faithful to bring them to the fountain. There is this important invitation here, isn't there? Come. And it's given twice, verses 39 and 46. In witnessing, we declare what we have seen and believe and then invite others to come 
and see. For John, faith begins in responding to the invitation to come and see. It's a similar word, it's a similar phrase that is used, we're going to look at later on, that the Samaritan woman to the people in, in chapter, verse 29, chapter 4, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah, she said. The process starts with coming and seeing. What will people come and see when they come and see us? What will they see? What will they see in our congregation, in our families? Do we want them to come and see? Or we perhaps try and keep everything private and behind closed doors? We have to be open. We have to be sharing, we have to be caring, we have to, we can't be closed, you know, cupboards where we keep all our stuff inside. How on earth are you expecting people to think that you're genuine? We have to be open books. Somebody actually said, um, I forgot the name, there are five Gospels, not four, there are five. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and then there's us. People are, are reading the Gospels through us, through our lives. Come and see. Next, Jesus breaking the barriers, verse 46. Nazareth, can any good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When he comes to Philip, Jesus found him and called him directly. It wasn't through somebody else. Jesus called him directly. But it was Philip who found Nathanael. Nathanael, interesting character, Nathanael. His own initial assumptions were superficial and full of prejudice. It appears, it appears that Nathaniel liked to study the scriptures, so when something came from left field, his first reaction was to dismiss it. Just like Nathaniel, many today dismiss the claims of Jesus based on their own assumption or what they heard or what they read or what they saw online and blah, blah, blah. Reputations, reputations can precede us long before they personally, before people actually get to personally know us. Our reputations can precede us. You know, even before people know our character and our behaviour, it could be based on what family we came from, which school we went to, and in this case, where we were born. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Liverpool or Campbelltown? Lania? 
Miller, Ashcroft, Paraguay, <laughs> Ukraine. Can any, okay, let's go the other way. Can anything good come from Mossman? Well, obviously, <laughs> or Willoughby, Wallara, ooh. <laughs> Liverpool, come on. You're not dating him, are you? Really? <coughs> nah. He's not good enough for you, you know. His family comes from Paraguay. I know. You see what I'm saying? People, you know, we put people in boxes and what, where they work, where they studied, where they got their degrees and all of that type of stuff. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing, really. In fact, the most wonderful thing can come out of Nazareth person, Jesus Christ. So all these barriers and excuses and prejudices and everything else that, that Nathaniel was, was putting up, it was going to come, all these barriers were going to come down really quickly. But for those daring and, and willing to, to stick at it, God will destroy our barriers and prejudices and racial and class and education differences and all of that type of stuff. Jesus breaks the barriers. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, yes, in fact it can. Isaiah 53, our first passage this morning. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. He didn't have the cameras on him. Nobody was interested. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Oh, look, pretty boy. No. Nothing. We held him, what, in verse 3, in 53, we held him in low esteem. Isaiah was already saying that. Nathaniel is simply proving what the prophet said in Isaiah 53. We held him in low esteem. But Nathaniel stuck at it. Good on him. Greater things await, verses 47 to 51. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathaniel declared, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Wow! We jump from this to that really quickly. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And yes, he did. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. Interesting interplay here, isn't there? Where 
On the one hand, Nathaniel thought he had Jesus worked out based on where he was, where he grew up, Nazareth. Nathaniel thought he knew Jesus, but Jesus already knew everything about Nathaniel. It is impossible to hide anything from Jesus, even our embarrassing cynicism sometimes. Fact is, Jesus had his eye on Nathaniel long before Nathaniel had his eye on Jesus. Jesus could have heard his cynical remark about Nazareth even if Nathaniel was in, in Australia. Jesus would have heard it. Jesus also knew that Nathaniel liked to study the scriptures. For the Jew, the expression under the fig tree, yes, he could have been under a fig tree, but more likely under the fig tree is a way of saying that he was reading and studying the book of the law, the Torah. Even though he was devout in his study of the scriptures, however, he missed out on the fact that all the scriptures point to Jesus. And the allusion here to the in verse 51 of the, the angels ascending and descending. It's, we know the passage. It's from Genesis chapter 28 where Jacob or Israel is escaping from mum and dad and he's going away and God appears to him. So here Jesus joins the dots and applies the passage to himself. Because Jesus not only knew Nathaniel, because if Jesus saw Nathaniel, even before Nathaniel saw Jesus, reading the scriptures, Jesus probably knew even then that he was probably reading from Genesis chapter 28. He knew which passage of scripture he was reading. You were reading the scriptures and I can tell you which verse you were reading. And you know that passage about the angels going up and going down and all of that? Well, here it is. Here I am. This is me. And join the dots. Bang, bang, bang. He says, wow. That's amazing. How did you know? Greater things you will see. That's nothing. Stick around and you're going to see a lot more than that. You see, greater things indeed await those who do search. For they shall find. Seek and you shall find. Let's bring it to a close. If you're a believer, you should be thinking of someone to share your faith with. And the moment that God puts the thought in your head about a person, you should start to pray for them. That's the easiest thing you can do. Start to pray. Start to pray for, to God for an opportunity that the Holy Spirit will work in their life. And then when the opportunity arrives, there, all you have to do is point it towards Jesus. For John the Baptist, it was his disciples. For Andrew, it was his brother Peter. For Philip, it was Nathaniel. For you, it could be a family member. 
a friend, begin to pray for them, begin to pray for opportunities and pray that the Holy Spirit will be doing that which you and I could never do. Our task is to point them to Jesus. Our words are simple, the invitations, come and see. Some are searching, some will be sceptical, but whatever the case may be, our responsibility is simple. I'll say it again, let's point them to Jesus. Amen. And here is a song, we're going to sing our final song.